0: Hi, welcome to the Workday Podcast. I'm Greg Thomas from Workday. Today we're talking about how the technology-enabled workplace can be a lonely place, the role of leadership in addressing this, and how millennials are redefining engagement at work to focus more on social connections. With me today are Dan Schwabel, Research Director at Future Workplace and author of the leadership book, Back to Human, and Aaron Yang, Vice President of Platform Technology, Product and Strategy at Workday. Welcome to you both.
1: Thank you.
2: So happy to be here.
0: Glad you're here. So before we dive in, um, Dan, in a sentence or two, because we're definitely going to go deeper on this, what drew you to this topic in the first place?
2: Well, every book I write helps get people of my generation, Aaron's generation, millennials, to the next phase of their career. So I started this voyage and as a recent college graduate, wrote Me 2.0, which helps us get from college to our first job, and then promote yourself with first job to management. And there's a leadership book because over 40% of people in our generation have a manager title and above, and about 4% have a director title and above, and they're quickly moving into director and even VP-level positions which is very exciting. And then about a year and a half, two years ago, I was interviewed for a documentary that'll be released on Netflix next year called The Revolution Generation. And during that interview, I was asked, what's the biggest obstacle that this generation's facing? And so in my head, I'm like, okay, global warming, student loan debt, which is now $1.53 trillion outstanding. And, you know, world war, nuclear war, and then in my head, I'm like, okay, but what's affecting us on a daily basis? And it came down to isolation. So we, we're overusing and misusing technology. We tap our phones over 2,600 times a day and look at our phones every 12 minutes. And anytime I say 12 minutes, everyone's like, I think I look at my phone every five seconds. So it's enormous addiction. And what's happened is our kind of abuse of uh, an addiction of technology has led to isolation, which has led to loneliness, which is bad for our health. And so I made all those connections, and I realized that the biggest thing we're facing, especially as I've interviewed 100 leaders for the book, is people feel very isolated in their position, not just because, you know, they're just taking management roles for the first time, but because we have a very decentralized workplace. People are working from everywhere, uh, which is good for freedom and flexibility, but can lead to isolation and loneliness. Mm.
0: Yeah, as you were talking, I, I set my phone aside for this, and I instinctively reached for my pocket to, to check it and, it, and it wasn't there. So can certainly relate to that. Um, so you mentioned the, these 100 millennials that you talked to in, in writing this book. You dubbed them appropriately enough, the Millennial 100. So what, what led you to that list and, and wanting to create and talk to that group of, of leaders?
2: Well, I've wanted to do this for many years, and this was a great opportunity to actually initiate. Uh, my thought originally was, what if I knew a hundred of the top young leaders at some of the best companies in the world? Right, so Workday and GE, Johnson and Johnson, Starbucks. I mean, the list is is uh, pretty amazing. Um, and so I just set out to do it. It took three and a half months. I did a nomination process, plus I, you know, chose people from that I interviewed for the last book, who got more senior roles at their companies, and people from our our member network. And so it was a pretty intense process of not just selecting but getting it approved by PR, the different companies, and making sure they fell within 24 to 35 years old. Um, And then just doing interviews, and it ended up being 240 pages, single-spaced of content. And then the process of taking that, blending it with a research study I did with Virgin Pulse uh, and my insights, experience, exercises, and tips together to form the book.
0: So that's, that's a lot of content. What was the biggest or most surprising thing that you found when you, when you talked to those 100 people?
2: The most surprising thing from the interviews, the thing that came up again and again, was that technology is a double-edged sword. Mm. Whether people think it's good or bad, what really matters is how you use it and not to misuse it you know, and, and, you know, the new philosophy for the book is like, let technology be a bridge to human connection instead of a barrier. Let it get you to a meeting room or a social event. But in, if you're in that meeting room or social event, make sure that you're present, not just physically, but emotionally and, and mentally. So you're actually interacting with your teammates. And there's a free flow of information and, and I, idea sharing that creates strong Human connections, which lead to better business results. Mm.
0: So let's bring Aaron into this conversation. So Aaron, you were one of those 100 millennial leaders that Dan talked to. Like, what, what's your perspective on this?
1: Yeah, I totally agree with Dan in that it's a double-edged sword. I, I personally have had a very positive experience with using technology in the workplace. My first job, actually. My entire team was in Chicago and I was the lone person out in our San Jose office. And so I had to find ways to use technology to to build that connection with them. And what we ended up doing was literally leaving a webcam on all day so that we could see the casual interactions, that we could have, you know, conversations as soon as you thought of the topic. Um, But I've also seen the negative side where you have 10 people in a room all looking at their laptops and not engaging with each other, not even eye contact. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's all about how you apply that technology. I will say, as you get into leadership, you realize the importance of expanding beyond the technology and the tools though, Mm -hmm. because there's so much in influence and the personal relationships that you need to leverage on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah, I mean, we work so much through one another, right? It's influence and it's making sure that, that everyone's rowing in the same direction. So, you know, maybe an obvious follow-up to that, but then, you know, why is it a concern? You talked about in leadership the notion of working a lot through influence, but, but even you think about your team, you think about companies as a whole, why is, why is that sense of potential isolation and over-reliance on tech a concern?
1: For me, because I grew up in product management, influence was always a really key topic you don't actually have direct control over the engineers who you're trying to convince to work against the priorities that you've set. You really don't have direct control over anything. And so what you're trying to wield all the time is influencing people, convincing them that the vision you're setting forward is what they should spend their time on. And it's very hard to build influence when you don't have a strong relationship with those people, and it's very hard to build from scratch a relationship through technology of course I've seen it done I've heard about the you know the the spouses who've met playing you know computer games and things like <laughs> that um, but you know i I'm a big proponent for example of remote workers. I've had people on my team, even managers who work remotely from the office, but we always do set the expectation that in the first few months, you're going to spend over 50% of your time in the office um, traveling. Once you build those connections, then you can go and start coming in maybe on a quarterly basis. But it's really important to build that foundational set of relationships so that you can really work effectively with people and, and to your Yeah, and I, I
2: really like what Erin just said, actually. I think that rings true. I've worked from home for eight years. So, I mean, I think this is one of the biggest discussions that is going to come out of this book because in the Virgin Pulse study of over 2,000 managers and employees in 10 countries, you know, everyone talks about the positive side of working remote, getting freedom, flexibility to do work when, where, and how you want, kind of almost on your terms, as long as you fall through and you have a good connection with your, your team and everyone's notified of what you're doing. Um, But there's the dark side. The dark side is without enough human contact, if you work from home and you're not good at kind of self-management, it can be very isolating. So we found that if you work remote, you're much less likely to say you want a long-term career at your company. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the reason is, is the loneliness is created from working remote full time. Right? So I think for me, if I don't see my business partners for several months, You know, I'm not as connected to the organization as a result, but we do event every quarter. We have a call every Monday. Like, I feel like I'm part of something because of those connections, those reminders, the idea sharing. It's like you need all these touch points to constantly remind you of what you're doing, why you're doing it, and who you're doing it with and why they're important Mm -hmm. uh, to you.
0: Yeah. And so staying with you, Dan, and with what you were just talking about, you you talked about frequent contact and calls and in-person events. You know, when you think about what the antidote is to to this issue of, of isolation and, and maybe the attendant loneliness that comes with it, um, wh- what do you see as most effective and what did you find in your research?
2: This is really interesting. Um, the biggest thing that gets in the way of in-person communication in the workplace is email. We rely so much on email. You had a study in the Harvard Business Review found that one face-to-face conversation is more successful than 34 emails exchanged back and forth. So instead of just praying to God that people understand what you're saying through email, you know, you just walk four feet to someone's office and explain what you mean. Um, So I think that we're relying, especially leaders relying on technology as a crutch, because maybe it's convenient or we're addicted to it because we use it in our personal lives as well. In place of the human connection that helps build strong bonds, a healthy work environment, and can actually, in many cases, get things done quicker. But I will say this caveat like, if you're just trying to, you know, remind one of your coworkers that a meeting's taking place in a half hour, sending a text, I think, is completely appropriate. You know, you don't have to like go to their office or hop on a video conference, keep it simple in that regard. But if something's more serious, if it's a one on one meeting that you have, You know, I think video conferencing, I think an in-person meeting or at least a phone call can be much more effective because you can convey yourself better.
0: Anything you'd add to that, Erin?
1: I mean, I I would just agree on that on all fronts. I think it's finding the right technology to use for the type of communication you're trying to have. And I think now that Slack is super popular, that's definitely been um, something that's heavily used for the things you don't want to let die in an email inbox and things that are a little bit more urgent, but maybe you don't need to actually call someone about. Mm. Um, So I think having those options is great. It's just about making sure people are using them for the appropriate situations.
0: So I'm curious, like, do you see within the younger cohort, the millennial generation, do you see um, a resistance to picking up the phone or, or sort of those face-to-face interactions? Is that, do you think that's less natural for, for
2: some folks? I think it's absolutely a trend. I mean, yeah. no one I know besides my dad, who's 75, my grandma, who is gonna be 99 next year, leaves a voicemail. Mm. Uh, it, it just doesn't happen. People would just rather text. They think it's more efficient. And that's fine. I mean, I, I don't have a strong opinion against that, but I think we're just so, you know, even my mom actually uses text too much. Someone at the Apple store taught her how to do it to, to create an emoji. And she uses, <laughs> I think, like a million hearts per day. Uh, so I think it, it's not just millennials, but basically all age groups, because older Individuals have to communicate with younger ones. So they're adopting that behavior, and the technology is kind of forcing that behavior on them because technology wants you to become addicted because Apple and Google and all those companies benefit as you use it. It's easy to misuse technology because we're constantly using, using it, and people sleep with their phones, and that affects their sleep and it affects their morning. And if uh, technology disrupts your sleep, you end up being more isolated in the workplace. And even in the workplace, you know, more and more people are just eating lunch at their desk. The socialization is kind of at an all-time low. Only 20% of companies have social events for their employees and off-site. Yet, what we found in the study is that's the number one way to create a more socialized, connected, engaged workplace, especially in a world where 85% of the global workforce is either disengaged or actively disengaged. So, I think one of the things that Erin talks about in the book is, you know, how do we create a better employee experience? How do we bring people closer together, whether you're using technology or not? The touch points, I think, are, are so effective and let people be part of the process, you know, make it more collaborative. Uh, and I thought that really stood out. Yeah.
0: So, so speak to that, Erin. I mean, that, that <laughs> sense of fostering community or, or relationship building, however you think about it, you know, what, what do you think works and what do you think is most important?
1: Yeah, well, I definitely think, you know, the quote that's that's in Dan's book is around being pulled into a process of something that often facilities and office decisions often get made outside of, um, you know, the, the the employees who are doing other jobs. But what I got to participate in was the build out of our San Francisco office. I think we wanted to set the tone there in terms of a office that really matched more of the. It was a, a little bit more of like the millennial culture that we were hoping to attract there. Like the
0: way we wanted to work.
1: Yeah, right? exactly. And so I got tapped along with a couple of other folks who were not facilities experts to just go and meet with the design teams and share what did we really need out of a workplace. And so... We were able to influence things from colors to what types of meeting rooms we needed, what size of meetings room we needed, having a slide that connected <laughs> one floor to another, um, all of that. And so that made me much more invested in the outcome and in using that space effectively once it was done as well. And then to Dan's point, I, I, I'm very surprised to hear that only 20% of companies do off-sites and social events because that's a huge thing here. And I always highly recommend that as a way to... Get people out of meeting rooms, get people out of the office, and do something that you'd want to do with your friends, right? Go and blow glass. <laughs> like I know that's something one team did once. We had a really successful food tour in San Francisco where we all bonded over our favorite mm-hmm. foods. And just reminding yourself of the, the humanness of the people that you're working with that often you're just just slacking or emailing or doing work with. Um, I think it's just so effective to get out of the office and spend non work personal time together.
2: Yeah, yeah and I, I want to just add on to that. It's we spend so much of our lives working, at least a third of our entire lives working and and yet, you know, it a lot of people have trouble making friends at work. And we're spending forty eight in America forty seven hours a week a week working on average. And so half of the workforce has five or fewer friends and 7% have zero friends globally. If you have a bad work experience and you don't have strong relationships, that's going to carry over to your personal life. It's not like you have a bad day at work and you come home and you're excited and you're pleasant to be around with your siblings, parents, you know, husband or wife or friends. Like, that carries over. And, but at the same time, if, you, if your personal life isn't going well or you're suffering in some capacity, you bring that into the workplace. So we have to be empathetic as leaders and meet people where they are and understand that people have personal lives too. And actually just did a study and found that uh, over 75% of the global workforce doesn't have enough time to do personal related activities because they're so busy working. Not having your phone is a new vacation. We're always kind of working. So at least do work that's To you and has an impact, and then do it with people that you want to work with and, and who are supportive of you.
0: Yeah. And, you know, when I listen to you both talking about this, I, I also think about my own experience and that, that I almost have two different kinds of networks at work, if you will, right? There's the people that are really there almost as social support, you know, the people that I really enjoy their time and hopefully they enjoy mine. And then there's the people where it's it's a little bit more about getting work done, right? And that I need to have a relationship with you because, because we work together. And I think they're both really important. And the people that I work with, it's struck me a couple of times that if i don't maintain those relationships if i don't work at it then when it comes time to do work i'm i'm at a disadvantage because we don't have that rapport we don't have that human connection that you were talking about Aaron and and so it's just so critical to the way that things actually get done in the workplace
1: yeah and i and i think it gets set from leadership in many companies i it's just reminding me of um one of our very senior leaders in the company, he used to, and I think he still does, come and talk to new managers and say, okay, if, if you're talking to your employees, where would you guess that work should fall on your priority list? And of course, coming from a senior leader, they're like, oh, at the very top, right? And he's like, no, you know, number one should be your health. You can't be effective at work if you're not physically healthy. Number two is your family. Um, You know, you need to take care of your family first. And the number three is work. And so I think that just set a very clear example from leadership of it's not all about work. There's a human element that you can't ignore that everyone brings to work every day.
0: Yeah, Um, Dan, what would you add in terms of what's important for leadership to think about, you know, in, in terms of fostering connection, reducing isolation?
2: In the book, I talk about trust is number one. You know, you have to instill trust and the best way to do that is to be open and honest with what's actually happening in the company. And if things are bad, you talk about the bad things within legal limits. Uh, if things are good, you celebrate the victories. Uh, number two is belonging. People want to feel like they belong to something, uh, a group, a team, a company. And so you want to include people in their opinions so they can freely share them and feel like what they're saying Has an impact and matters. And that leads to number three is purpose. People want a a higher purpose. They want to know that they're not just a cog in the wheel, that they're not just doing routine tasks every day, that the work that they're doing has meaning and can affect the team, the manager, the company, customers, and maybe even the world as as a whole. I think that's really, really important. So I think by focusing on Those three, you can really make a real impact on people. And then the final one is happiness. You know, if people are not happy, if they don't feel comfortable being in their own skin in the workplace, uh, they're not going to be as effective and they're more likely to search for another job. I think what it means is people feel comfortable being themselves and they have a leader that creates a safe space so they're able to actually accomplish that. Uh, There was... Google did Project Aristotle, and they looked at what makes for the most highly uh, effective teams, and it was creating a safe space um, Mm. so people didn't feel scared to share new ideas, right? And instead, instead encouraging idea sharing because when you do that, you have big breakthroughs.
0: And Aaron, those those four things that Dan just mentioned, trust, belonging, purpose, happiness, those are not work terms in, in so many ways, right? It's not profitability. Right. It's about that humanity.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, you know, maybe wrapping up, you know, if, if someone's listening, they're, they're in leadership, or, or maybe they're not. Maybe they're, they're just an employee who's, who's looking to that next step in their career and how to, how to be best engaged. What advice would you, would you give them or what would you say to them, starting with you, Aaron?
1: You know, what comes to mind is something that our our co-founders at Workday have talked about in the leadership summits that we do every year. And I think they use the acronym MBWA, so Manage by Walking Around. It's just, it's a bit of a tactic, but it's, um, it also represents, you know, the importance of humanity, talking to people, the FaceTime, how important it is to be on the same plane, literally, as, as the people on your team. and. I've seen that actually occur. Like I've seen our senior leaders just like take one building a weekday and just to get a sense of how things are going, say hello, If there are any issues, they could surface more casually in those sorts of interactions. People don't feel like they need to use technology to reach out and probably not get an answer. And so I just love the sentiment that that exudes. And I think it's a very simple thing that people leaders can do.
0: Yeah, and I think it also comes back to that notion that there's a place for technology and there's a place for the human touch. There may be things that people are more willing to talk about face-to-face than their, I don't want to drop this in an email that elevates it somehow. But Mm -hmm. if I can run into you and talk about this. It's a different story exactly. sometimes. Um, Dan, what about you? What advice would you would you offer?
2: People want to be seen, heard, and understood. So next time you're sending an email or a text message, be conscious about the message you're trying to convey and how it could come off. If the technology is the best medium to convey that message. Um, You know, the book is really a reminder. You know, the cover has a name tag. It's like, despite all this new technology, we have to still embrace our humanity because that's what's going to separate us and and allow us to connect in a human fashion to the people we work with. Because the more friends you have at work, the happier you'll be, the more excited you'll be when you're doing projects with them. And it's very easy to leave an acquaintance, someone who you don't have a strong relationship with, but very hard to leave a work family. Um, so I, I really want to promote more socialization in the workplace and then have leaders be more conscious of how they're communicating and using what platform at what time. Let technology, we that meeting, let it, Let it also let technology remove some of the tedious tasks that you don't even want to do. I think that is the beauty of the artificial intelligence transition in our work cultures right now. Um, But while that frees up time, that time should be spent on connecting and communicating with employees so that everyone's on the same page and they're focused on accomplishing the same goals in order to achieve a common mission.
0: Well. Thank you both for joining us. Um, I'm Greg Thomas. You've been listening to the Workday podcast where we've been talking with Aaron Yang and Dan Schwabel. Thank you both for joining us.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
2: Thank you.